Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. Some of my finest memories as a kid growing up was coming to church. I, I was one of those guys, one of the little kids, man. I, I loved getting up in the morning and come to church. Do y'all have that same feeling? Do you remember those times as growing up as a kid and going to your church? I can remember walking in the doors of First Baptist Church, Troy, and, and I remember going to Sunday school and I participated in RAs. Man, I love RAs. You, did y'all ever participate in RAs and GAs? I wish we'd bring RAs back. RAs was awesome. It was great. RAs, we, we memorized scripture. We talked about missionaries. We did our Pinewood Derby like we're doing tonight. It was really, really fun. I had a great time. And of course, we did VBS. Some of the greatest memories I have is, is me sitting up in the balcony at First Baptist Church, Troy, uh, with my head on my mom's lap. And I'd listen to, to, to Ed Walters as he would preach. I don't remember necessarily... Uh, much of what Dr. Walters said, I remember sleeping through some of his sermons as a kid. But I just loved church growing up. Maybe the Lord just sort of planted that seed in my heart that maybe one day I would become a pastor or a preacher. But I just love God's people. But when I was growing up as a, as a kid, like as a student, some of my greatest memories that I have is going to youth camp. I loved going to youth camp. Uh, we, we went to youth camp kind of all over the place. I, I, uh, we've been up in the mountains to do youth camp. We've been down at the beach to do youth camp. But I just remember going to youth camp and those being some of the, the greatest times that I ever had, not just with other students, although that, those are really special times. And, and you come out of doing youth camp and youth ministry with some of the greatest relationships that you'll ever have, lifelong relationships. I had some great friends in high school, but you know what? As time went by, I've sort of lost some of the connection with a lot of those friends that I had in high school. But man, the, the students that I knew, the friends that I had at church, man, those relationships have never ended. Just great times. But one of the things I loved about going to youth camp is, is not just how close I would get to the other students or even to my youth pastor, but it seemed like I would just always get really close with the Lord. You know, you, you spend five days, five days, and you're reading God's Word every day, multiple times a day. Five days, you're reading God's Word, and you're worshiping, and you're praising multiple times a day. Five days, you're reading God's Word, you're praising the Lord, and then you're meeting together with other students and you're praying together multiple times a day. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if we structured our day like that every day, like a youth camp, where we got up and we read God's word, where we prayed together, where we worshiped together. And then as a youth camp, we would go out and we would do service projects throughout the week. And so now we're serving God together. So yes, of course, you're going to get closer to your classmates and to your friends, but you're also going to get really close to the Lord. And one of the things I really disliked about youth camp was that it had to come to an end. I had to come home. At some point on that Friday morning, we'd have to wake up, pack up all of our stuff, and we'd have to get back on that bus 
And then we would have to come back home. Not that I, I didn't necessarily want to come home. I, of course, I missed my mom and my dad. and I missed my other friends that weren't on youth camp with me. And, and I had other things that I had to do. But I didn't really want to come home because coming home meant I was coming back to reality. Where I wasn't going to be able to, to read God's word the way I wanted to read it. Where I wasn't going to be able to pray the way that I, I did at youth camp where I wasn't going to be able to praise God the way that I was doing it at youth camp. It was so regimented, so scheduled. It was just such a, a big part of my day. And then when you get home, guess what you face? You face distractions. you got to go to work, right? You, you, you've got things to do. You've got to accomplish things at school. You've got sports. You've got dance. You've got all these things that are pulling at your, at your time and your attention that you didn't have when you're at youth camp. My youth pastor would call youth camp a mountaintop experience. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? Where you're able to, to spend time with the Lord and you really grow closer to God and you have that mountaintop experience. But mountaintop experiences sadly come to an end, don't they? You have to come home at some point. Last week we talked about Jesus and the disciples. Namely, those three, Peter, James, and John. They went up on to the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus there was greeted not only by God the Father, which was pretty awesome in and of itself, but there was also Moses and Elijah. And Peter, if you remember, Peter, towards the end of that story, said, Jesus, we don't got to go back down. I, how about this? How about I build everybody three tents? Jesus, I'm pretty good with my hands. I'll just build us three tents. I'll build one for you. I'll build one for Elijah. I'll build one for Moses. Me, James, and John, we'll just sleep outside. We just want to stay up on this mountaintop, Jesus, with you. And Jesus, of course, says, no, no, we, we have to go back down. And Peter, I think, instinctively knew what we all know, that we don't want to leave that mountaintop. We don't want to leave that experience with God growing closer with him because we know at the base of that mountain is a lot of problems, a lot of distractions, a lot of things that are pulling at our time. And we can't do the things we want to do with the Lord because we've got all these other things that are constantly pulling for our attention. So I'm going to break you into seminary, okay? Seminary class is now in session, all right? Let me give you the very first basic tip of Christianity. Christianity 101, if you will. Misery sometimes follows the mountaintop. Misery sometimes follows the mountaintop. You can have this great mountaintop experience, but we know at the very bottom, when we leave the mountaintop, boy, there can be a lot of problems. There can be a lot of trouble. And that's where we are here today in Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 43. We're going to be looking at a miserable experience that the disciples have following a mountaintop experience with the Lord. Now, let's be honest. Some of you right now, you are on the mountain. And congratulations. I hope you get to stay there as long as you can. Have you ever been in that prayer circle where you're going around and you're you're telling everybody your prayer needs so they can pray with you, and so-and-so's died, so-and-so's sick, so-and-so had an accident. We had all these problems, and then you get to that, that one person, and you know what they say when it comes to their prayer need? I'm all good. 
I've been jealous of those people. (laughs) I wish I could be all good. That'd be fantastic. But maybe that's where you are. Maybe today you're on the mountaintop and congratulations. Stay there as long as you can. But I think that some of us would confess that we're not on the mountaintop. We're at the base of that mountain. Maybe we've had that that time of worship, that time of praise, that time of closeness and nearness. But right now we don't feel it. All we feel is problems. All we feel is headaches. All we feel is trials. All we feel is trouble. Let me tell you, friend, you can be as close to Jesus in your misery as you are on the mountaintop. And let me read this story to you. It comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 43, reading from the English Standard Version. And we're going to catch the miracle in Jesus' message. Verse 37, on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, being Jesus. And again, Jesus is up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John. Now it's time to come home. So they come down to the mountain, and the very first thing that happens is they are greeted by a huge crowd. Verse 38, And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him. Isn't that an interesting statement? This demon has taken hold of my son. He's interrupted his life mentally and spiritually and physically. And Lord, this demon has shattered him. And it won't leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Now, if you do me a favor, if you have a pen or pencil, highlight that and underline that. I asked your disciples to do it. I asked your disciples to do it, but they couldn't do it. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And Jesus answered in verse 41, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I going to be with you and bear with you and bring your son here? While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Isn't that awesome? That demon was going to destroy this young man. Jesus cast the demon out. And said, here is your boy, restored and new. In verse 43, excuse me, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. So let's look at Roman numeral one and let's catch the, the message of Jesus. Roman numeral one, we are introduced to a desperate dad. We are introduced to a desperate dad. Now, there's a few reasons, by the way, why this man was desperate. Let me give them to you. He was desperate because he was a dad. (laughs) Fathers in the room, do you know what I'm talking about? Moms in the room, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember the very first time that you held your child in your arms? I remember that, that moment vividly. I have never felt so inadequate so unprepared in all of my life than when I held my first child in my arms for the very first time. Do you know, for those of you that have not had children, do you know that when your spouse, your wife, gives birth to your children, that there is no instruction manual that comes with that child? None. Zero. God just makes this baby 
It's born, and he says, here you go. I had no idea what I was going to do. I remember leaving, exiting that hospital room, walking out to tell everyone, all of our family was in the waiting room, to tell everyone that Angela was good, she's fine, and we've got a healthy baby boy. And I remember walking down that hall and my knees were weak. I I felt like they were knocking. I felt faint because I felt so utterly unprepared to be a father. And here's one of the reasons why I felt like I was still a child in many ways. I was a young man and a young father who really in his heart still felt like he needed to be fathered himself who still felt like he needed the discipline of a father himself, who felt like he still needed the guiding hand of a dad in his own life. And by the way, at age 40, I still feel that way. But there has been no more desperate situation in my life than when we had children. I just felt unprepared. And by the way, this dad feels the exact same way. He doesn't have the answers. There is no instruction manual for what this father is going through. He is simply desperate, desperate. And of course, we know the rest of the story. He's desperate because a demon has possessed his child. His child has left home. His child has left the grounding, the foundation that he and his mother had probably laid for this child. This child isn't acting the way that he had raised this child to act. And he has no idea how to solve the problem. Dad's in the room. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like that about your children? That you want to help? You want to do something that would help this child, but sadly, you don't possess the knowledge. I've been there before. So it says in verse 37, on the next day when he had come down the mountain, a great crowd met him and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, a desperate father, teacher, I beg you to look at my son. The reason why he's desperate is because he has a son who is apart from Christ. I I know many of you in the church and I've had the opportunity to talk to you many, many, many times about your families and about your children. I've had folks come up to me and tell me about their sons or their daughters that are apart from Christ. They have left the faith or they're prodigal or, or they're, they've left home and they just want their child to come home. And then he gives another reason why he's desperate. One, he's a desperate dad. Two, he's in a desperate situation with his boy. And three, this is really key for he is my only child. He is my only child. This child is this man's only shot. This is his only opportunity to leave behind a legacy. By the way, legacy back in the ancient Jewish world is something that was very powerful, very potent, something that was very important to leaving behind a name, to leaving behind a legacy. And this child, this boy, was this man's only shot at doing that of living beyond his years, of living beyond his years and living through the life of his child. And this is his only opportunity. So we have a desperate dad. 
So here at the base of the mountain, we've had a mountaintop experience, but now at the base, we've encountered misery. We've encountered, encountered desperation. So fathers in the room, let me encourage you today, if you've ever felt desperate, if you've ever felt like you don't have the answers, if you feel like, you know, this is my only shot to help my child, trust me, you're not alone. You're not alone. Not only as me as your pastor, I would say I've been there before, and I'll probably be there again, but I would also tell you right here in the Bible, Jesus encounters the very same thing. What you're going through is not new, but there is an answer for it. I love Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 9 to the crowds that he encounters. Listen to what he says in the book of Matthew. When he saw the crowds, what did Jesus do? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. I love, though, what it says. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, but he had a compassion on them. Desperate dads, desperate moms, desperate kids in the room. Trust me, Jesus has compassion on you, and he loves you, and he's not going to abandon you. So we're encountered here with a desperate dad. Look at Roman numeral two. We have defeated and depleted disciples. Verse 40, the father says, I begged your disciples to cast it out, that being the demon, and they could not. And they could not. Jesus, if you remember, had gone up to the mountain. He had left the other nine disciples behind. He had taken Peter, James, and John with him. And on that mountain, Peter, James, and John had this powerful, worshipful connection. They communed with God in a very real, rich, and powerful way. So what were the other nine disciples doing there at the base of the mountain? Well, the other disciples were probably doing what they had been taught to do. As the crowds pressed around them, they probably prayed for them. They probably healed. After all, we've already read a few chapters ago where Jesus sends out the disciples into the nearby areas and he gave them the specific instruction to drive out demons and to heal people with incurable diseases. And the disciples were able to accomplish their goals. They did just what Jesus had told them to do. And so now they're at the base of the mountain and they think, well, Jesus gave us our marching orders several weeks ago. Why don't we just continue forth on those marching orders? We'll just continue to, to reach out and heal and touch. We'll continue to pray for, we'll continue to feed. Maybe some of them even picked up the mantle as teacher. Hey, you know what? I remember what Jesus said in that situation. I, I, can, I can teach, I'll be an encourager, that's great. But then all of a sudden, it runs out. They're unable to perform the task that Jesus had given them several chapters ago. This man brings his son to the disciples. He has a demon that's inside of him. And they pray and they command the demon to leave. And guess what happens? Absolutely nothing. Why? Why do you think that is? As I began to pray through this situation, the only thing that I could really come up with, and by the way, as I began to read other commentaries, other commentaries said the same thing that maybe I was thinking in my heart, that these disciples had been depleted 
of their energy source. While they shared a physical connection to Christ, they were lacking the spiritual connection to Jesus. Peter, James, and John, they experienced the spiritual connection to Christ while they were physically with him. But when Jesus' physical connection left the disciples, it left them defeated and depleted. They were operating on their own power. They were operating on their own humanity. And do you know what? When you operate on your own power and your own humanity, for so long, you're only going to be able to do it temporarily. You ever heard the statement, fake it until you make it? (laughs) Fake it until you make it. I had a, a seminary professor, by the way, tell me one time, he said, Stuart, let me tell you something. One day, you're going to get tired in ministry. You're going to get tired in ministry. You're going to feel overwhelmed with the problems of people. They're going to wash over you like a tidal wave, and you are going to feel like you are drowning. And I said, well, what do I do when that happens? Am I going to quit? Am I going to hang it up? And he said, no, Stuart, you got to fake it until you make it. On the surface, I've been doing ministry now for 20 years. On the surface, I thought that was great advice. I thought that was great advice. Until, until the day where people's problems began to overwhelm me. Until the day where they washed over me like a tidal wave and I felt like I was drowning. And do you know what I started to do? I remembered his words. And I said, you know what? I guess I better fake it until I make it. I better fake being spiritual. I better fake being happy. I, I, better, I better fake the fact that, that God's working in me. I better fake it so that other people will think I'm making it. And I learned real fast that faking it till I'm making it was some of the worst advice I've ever had. Here's the key to making it. You better stay close to Jesus. When your problems and other people's problems wash over you like a tidal wave and you begin to drown, let me tell you God's word is your snorkel. God's word is your oxygen. The relationship and connection that you have with Christ keeps you attached to God's power. Friend, if you're feeling like the disciples, if you're feeling like people's problems are too much and you're done, if you're feeling like your problems are too much and you're done, if you're feeling defeated and depleted this morning, could it be that you've been operating on your own power in your own human uh, abilities and that will only get you so far until you have to fake it until you make it? And friend, that's the worst advice you can have. Stay close to Christ. So how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you stay close to Jesus? Well, one of the ways that I do it is I find somebody that I can talk to. Find somebody I can talk to. I, I think it's very, uh, it's troubling when I meet Christians who, who are battling some really significant battles and they refuse to share their battles with anyone else. Just the other day, I was having a bit of a low point. You ever had those? I was having a bit of a low point. Been a bit of a frustrating week. It's been a hard time here at church, doing a lot of things, uh, ministering to a lot of people. And I've got a dear friend here in the church that has stuck with me, hadn't left. Even when I've dropped the ball and made a mistake, boy, he's been right there. I love guys like that. And so you know what I did? I I sent him a text message. I was like, well, I better not call him. may say something I might regret. 
So I sent him a text and said, Brother, I'm struggling. So will you pray for me? I'm struggling. And he said, absolutely. He sent me a text message right back. Yeah, man, I'm here for you. I, I, I'm going to pray for you. And do you know what happened? The next day I woke up and guess what? I felt a lot better. <laughs> I felt a lot better. Friend, if you're struggling today, if you're feeling defeated and depleted, find somebody to talk to. That would be my first step. But here's my second step, and it's equally as important, is make sure that you're staying grounded in God's Word. You know, chances are that Jesus had, had gone up the mountain. The disciples were so overwhelmed with everybody's problems, they might have stopped thinking about what Jesus had actually told them to do. Maybe they had forgotten some of the words that Jesus had told them, some of the encouragements. Maybe they had gotten so busy, they forgot to pray. Well, friend, it's really important to stay grounded in God's Word, to stay prayerful, to stay worshipful, to stay connected. You know, as a pastor, I've noticed there's a pattern, and I see this over and over in people's lives, and maybe you have too. Do you know that, that I can generally tell when someone has a struggle going on in their life? And do you know one of the primary modes that I can tell when people are struggling? The primary way that I see people struggling is when their church attendance drops. They're active, they're involved, they're faithful, and then all of a sudden there is a sharp decline in their church attendance. And that is a signal, that is a, a, a uh, light above my head basically saying the, this person is struggling with something. Friend, I would tell you that if you're struggling with something, you don't need to leave the church, you need to put yourself in the church. You need to be here. You're, you need to be in the pew. You need to be hearing God's word. You need, to be, you need to be encouraged. So I would encourage you today, come to church, be a part of it. It's not the answer, but it's a part of the answer for sure. Oh, sometimes we get defeated. Sometimes we get depleted. We have a severed connection with Christ. We begin to operate under our own power. Jesus reminds us in John 15, verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For what? For apart from me, from apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's exactly where these disciples were. Let's look at Roman numeral three. We've got a desperate dad, defeated and depleted disciples, but we also have a determined demon. A determined demon. And behold, a spirit seized him and suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that, it fo so that he foams his mouth and it shatters him. And it will hardly leave him. While it was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. And friends, brothers and sisters, I'll remind you today that the devil's real. And he is not someone to be trifled with. The demons are real as well. We don't often talk about the devil and demons, well, because it's a bit of an unsavory subject for a Sunday morning. Most people don't like to come to church and, and hear a lecture or hear a sermon or hear teachings on demons and demonic possession or, or even the devil himself. But friends, demonic possession is real, demons are a reality, and Satan wants to convince us otherwise. He wants to, to convince us that they are not real. That there is no other spiritual force that's, that's active in this world except for maybe God himself. But friend, let me tell you, demonic possession is real. 
Demonic possession, by the way, is a, perverted, is a perversion of, of what the Holy Spirit does with us. Do you know the Holy Spirit is a possessive force as well? When, when you encounter Christ, when you invite Christ to come into your life to be the Lord, the Savior, the ruler, and when you say, Lord, I want to be obedient to you, the Holy Spirit literally takes possession of you. The Holy Spirit it takes possession of your mouth, just like, by the way, this demon took possession of this young man's mouth. He foamed at his mouth. He filled his mouth with garbage. It, it, the Holy Spirit will take possession of your mouth. You know, as I was growing up with a kid, I'm embarrassed to say this because my dad's here, but as I was a kid, <clears throat> I used rather salty language. I didn't use it in my house. I didn't use it in front of my father and certainly not in front of my mother. But my friends and I, we took great delight with how we could use bad language. But do you know when I encountered Christ, Christ encountered my mouth and my mouth has not been the same since. But not only does the Holy Spirit take possession of us, it takes possession of our mouth, but it also takes possession of our mind. It takes possession of our mind, much in the same way that this demon took possession of this young man's mind. It's that his mind threw him down and he was convulsing, right? That's what causes these convulsions. Well, friends, I would tell you that today we need more Christians who are allowing God access to their minds. Just the other day, I, I downloaded an app on my phone. You guys have digital, you know, uh, iPhones or or. There's no other phone I don't think out there other than iPhones, but um, I, I downloaded an app on my iPhone, and as I was installing it, it came up and it said, this app would like to have access to your photo library. And it says, do you want to grant it access? And I said, sure. Boom, I granted access. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks as I was preparing for today's sermon. You know, some of us have installed, we want the Holy Spirit in our life, but we haven't granted it access to the important areas of our life. We haven't granted it access to our marriage. We haven't granted it access to our mouths. We haven't granted access to our minds, to the things that we listen to or to the things we watch. And see, we need to grant the Spirit access in our life to take possession over us much in the same way that this demon had taken possession. Now here's the thing, the Holy Spirit will only take possession of places that it's been invited to, right? We pray, we ask the Lord to come into our life, we invite the Holy Spirit to be in, our, in us and in our lives. Well, sad to say that demonic possession works in a very similar fashion. Demonic possession will only take place of where it's been invited. This young man had departed long ago from his roots and from his foundation that had probably been laid for him, and he had invited this demon to come into his life and had taken hold of him. Now, as he had gone down this road with this demon, now the demon's not letting go. Doesn't that sound a lot like addiction to you, by the way? Some of us, we get started with small addictions, things that don't really, you know, we think, oh, this is minor, this is silly, and we start walking down this road with this addiction, and then all of a sudden we realize this addiction, alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever it is, all of a sudden it has us in its grip. And we want to be rid of it. We, we don't want to do it anymore, but guess what? That addiction doesn't let go. My goodness, 
This determined demon is scary. Demons are real. Possession is real. In John chapter 10, verse 10, look at what Jesus says. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and may have it abundantly. Jesus gives us the M.O. of demons. And lastly, let's look at Roman numeral 4. We have the divine deliverer. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Friends, if you walk out of here today not remembering all my D points, okay? If you don't remember all the Ds, remember this. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. If you're filled today with desperation... If you're filled today and you're feeling defeated and depleted, if you're feeling today like your son or your daughter is out to lunch or maybe there's some other significant need that's going on in your life, let me just point you to Christ. Go to Jesus. Yes, come to me because guess what? I'm going to point you to Jesus. I'm going to be there to pray for you. But, but please, if you know somebody else is dealing with something, battling something, Point them to Christ. They've come to you because they see something different in you that they don't see in somebody else. And hopefully they're seeing Jesus working in your life. Point them to Christ. He is the divine deliverer. This morning I want to give you a couple application points. One, I want you to hear God's instruction and I want you to hear God's invitation. God, I believe, has given us a great deal of instruction here today, a great deal of encouragement here today, that just like this man, we can experience desperate times, misery at the base of the mountain. But the good news is that Jesus is there. Jesus hears. Jesus has compassion on the crowds. If he has compassion on the crowds, he'll have compassion on Stuart. Then he'll have compassion on you. Matthew 11 28 and 30 says, Come to me, all who, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke, his teaching, upon, upon you, and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, if you've come here today and you're looking for rest, Jesus is the way to go. Jesus is the answer. It's my prayer that you'll turn today's information into your inspiration. Would you bow your heads with me?